following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. If you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter 12. We have reached chapter 12, the last chapter of the book. I went back and checked when we started our study in Daniel, and it was the first weekend of February. February 7th is when we started it here. Um, and here we are, July 4th, 18 sermons later. <laughs> Going to be finishing up our study in Daniel. I love Daniel. How about you? Yes. Good. History, military history, secular history, as you all know, does not give us a whole lot of hope for world peace, <laughs> right? Not now, and nor for our future. And, and Bible prophecy confirms that. There has been and will continue to be, the term is, wars and rumors of wars, all the way to the end, finalized by the very last war to ever take place, culminating in Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. Antichrist, as we discovered last week, studied last week, will find himself becoming increasingly unpopular at the end of that seven-year tribulation period. And according to chapter 11, verse 44, the king of the east thought by many scholars to be China, will march with 200 million men down to the valley of Megiddo. Those from the north suggested possibly Russia will come down as well. The king of the south is believed to be Egyptian, along with the coalition of Arab nations, will consolidate their forces and move north. The Antichrist, who has made his capital in Jerusalem, somewhat boxed in, will march his armies and meet all of them in the valley of Megiddo, thinking that he will secure for himself a victory. How wrong he will be. <laughs> chapter 12 is actually a continuation of chapters 10 and 11. This final vision that Daniel has been given by God started in chapter 10 and finds its end here at chapter 12. Let's look at verse 1 of Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, he's talking to Daniel, your people, a reference obviously to Israel, the Jewish people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. So it starts off with at that time. So what time is that referring to? At what time? Well, it's the time of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. It's the time of Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 through 45. It's the time of the end. That's what time it is here. This is the context of the passage. 
The people that are being referred to here, as I said, are Daniel's people, the Jewish people. This time period has been called a time of great tribulation, also referred to as a time of Jacob's trouble. This distress and torment that takes place in the tribulation will take place, as we talked about and seen in Daniel chapter 9, the 70th week of Daniel's prophetic vision, which is the last seven years of human history, once again, the seven-year tribulation period. The great tribulation will be a time of conflict, war raging, not only here on planet Earth, but also in the heavenlies. It seems as though the forces of hell, as we have seen, are organized with demonic princes over specific nations and regions. But there are also angelic beings over certain regions and nations as well. Michael, the archangel, who is always linked with Israel, whose name means who is like God, is the archangel chosen by God for Israel's defense against Satan and his demonic forces. As most of you know, if not all of you, today Israel has um, designed and built themselves this thing they call the dome, right? To protect themselves from missiles coming in. They, and, and I'm thinking, well, that's cool, but boy, I'll tell you what, what can compare to Michael <laughs> as your defense? I'll take Michael any day over a dome. How about you? You see, Michael and the devil, actually, they've been going at it, and they've been fighting for a long, long time. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9 says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Satan will unleash his fury upon the Jewish people in the tribulation period. In, Re in Revelation chapter 12 we see, I think, what Daniel 12 is talking about. Verse 13 of Revelation 12 says this, When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman referred to? Israel. The dragon, a reference to Satan. The male child is Jesus who obviously, as we know, came from the Jewish people. What is the result of that, of Satan getting kicked out of heaven? Verse 17 of Revelation 12 says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of of Jesus. Some might say at this point, well, wait a minute, I thought Satan lived in hell. Well, not yet. <laughs> From Job chapter 1, we know that Satan roams the earth and somehow has access to heaven. And so you're wondering, well, why and what does he do there? 
The Bible lets us know what he does there from Revelation 12, Job chapter 1. He goes before the Father and he brings you and me up into the conversation. The Bible says he accuses the brothers and sisters who belong to Jesus Christ, who are in Christ. It's kind of like he sees you mess up and he is tattletelling on you like he needs to, <laughs> to the Father. See, look at them. They're worthless. Why would you save them? And the world's greatest attorney, the greatest attorney you and I could ever have, Jesus Christ, because of his work on the cross, because of the blood that was shed, presents that evidence. That is his case. And the father says, case dismissed. That's what Satan does or was doing. So when Michael, the archangel, kicks Satan out of heaven, no longer having access, we learn here that he comes to earth and he takes out his fury and frustration on Israel and the tribulation believers. The reference to the deliverance of everyone whose name is found in the book conveys the thought that those rescued or delivered have their names inscribed in the book is referring to, I believe, the book of life. At the second coming of Christ, not every individual Israelite will be spiritually prepared for his return. As Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 33 through 38, I think makes clear. It describes in Ezekiel 20 the purging out of the rebellious ones in Israel at the time of Jesus' return to earth and the establishing of his millennial kingdom. Here's what Ezekiel 20, verse 36 says. As I judged your fathers in the desert of the land of Egypt, so I will judge you, declares the sovereign Lord. This means individual Israelites will face the righteous judgment of Christ as to their spiritual condition, whether or not they will enter the millennial kingdom. In other words, the righteous enter the kingdom, the wicked will not. This judgment has been described as that parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25, the story of the sheep and goats is describing what that is about. Verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. What a great verse that is. Think about it. Did you hear what was just referred to? Resurrection just got mentioned right there. You see, was Satan cast out of heaven with horrific times taking place on earth? There's a resurrection. And if my understanding is correct, at the end of the tribulation, so seven years into it, it's over in seven years. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But at that point, there's a resurrection. 
Remember now, in chapters 10, 11, and 12, the focus directed specifically to the Jewish people. In fact, if you remember me saying chapters 2 through 7 were not written in Hebrew, they were written in, in Aramaic, chapters 9 on through get written in Hebrew. So specifically, God has in mind his people, Daniel's people. So Revel, uh, the focus here is Israel, not the church. It's Israel, Daniel's people. Chapter 20 of Revelation, I think, sheds more light on this. So here's chapter 20, verses 4 and 5 of Revelation. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast. That immediately gives us a time frame, doesn't it? We're, we're, what period we're in at this point. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That's referencing the millennium. The rest of the dead, hear this now, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. And then it says, this is the first resurrection. Some of us are thinking, well, wait a minute, Dave, you just said that this, is, this resurrection takes place at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, and it's being referred to as the first resurrection. Then what did Christ do? <laughs> right? Wouldn't that be the first resurrection? It's a good question, a good thought. So we have here, described for us in Revelation chapter 20, two resurrections, a first and a second. Two separate resurrections, and they really do need to be considered as a distinguishing of two people groups more than anything, okay? Now, as we're going to see, there's various occurrences of this first resurrection, but it needs to be thought of as a distinguishing of two people groups, a classification more than an event. Some are raised to eternal life. That's one people group. And some are raised to eternal death, a second people group. Notice with me, everybody gets raised. Some to life some to death. We use this phrase when we, when we did a Bible study here several years ago, the men, we did a study through Revelation and we discovered this term, this phrase that talks about, it says, some are born twice and die once. Others are born once and die twice. Physical being born and then born again spiritually only experiencing one death because of eternal life. The other, obviously, born once but dying twice, the actual physical death and then a spiritual death. This first resurrection involves multiple occurrences, obviously. Christ resurrected, right? But the Bible also refers to that resurrection as the first fruits. Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection of those who would be resurrected to eternal life. And so then there is the rapture of the church, the two witnesses, the premillennial resurrection of the tribulation saints, all, tribulation saints, all of those 
then fall into the category of the first resurrection. Then after the thousand years of peace is over, when the millennium is completed, the second resurrection takes place. When the unrighteous are resurrected, all of these, it's already determined, are lost. They're, they have no chance whatsoever at this point of eternal life. They are lost. It is associated with judgment and not blessing. It is connected to what is known as the great white throne judgment. Everybody at that judgment, once again, lost. Where they'll stand before the Lord, these people, in this second resurrection, stand before the Lord as the books of all they've ever thought, done, and said are opened. And at that time, no one's going to be able to say to the Father, hey, I deserve to be there. No, 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 no. Their own works, their own words, and their motives are going to prove otherwise. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24 and then 28 and 29, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Verse 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This verse speaks to the future, I believe, tribulation saints, but it doesn't leave us out. It speaks to us as well. We, like they, are exhorted to be wise. In light of what's happening prophetically, we should be motivated to always be putting Christ on display. Amen? And in so doing, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Folks, we need to understand something here. Prophecy was never ever meant to just tickle our curiosity. It is meant to motivate us to activity, to service, to living for our Jesus, our God, putting him on display, making him known to the world. If you are wise, the Bible says, if you want to experience the full capacity of what God intends for you now and in the ages to come, <laughs> be the only Bible that some may ever read. What the Apostle Paul referred to as living letters about Jesus. Turn people to righteousness. Turn them to Jesus Christ. And Daniel lets us know that you will shine forever. In this present world, Many times believers are persecuted, misunderstood, misrepresented, 
suffer economically because of their spiritual priorities and are not only overlooked but also looked down on by this world. Yet there will be a day, someday, things will be different. The decision to follow Jesus Christ and put his kingdom in first place of your life will never ever be regretted. In fact, rewarded by our Father. Some people ask the question, and maybe even more these days than ever before, I don't know, is serving Christ even worth it? With all that you've got to deal with and put up with, is it even worth it? You can cross-reference that question with Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, because that very question is being asked in Malachi. God's answer in Malachi as well, chapter 3, verse 16, on through chapter 4, is a resounding yes. In our vernacular, you betcha. Verse 4, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Even though Daniel did not understand the exact meaning of the times and the events of this prophetic vision, closing up and sealing the words of the scroll meant that it was to be kept safe and preserved. But just as we saw back in chapter 8, verse 26, this admonition to do so concerned the preservation of the document, not its being kept a secret. It's good that we understand that. We need to know that. God's word will be preserved one way or another, as we have seen here in 2021, right? It is still with us. We still have the book of Daniel. It still speaks. It's been preserved. And the reason God tells Daniel to do that so that it would be around and available for folks like you and I who will need its information in the days in which we are living and in the days that are ahead. And so that's why Daniel is told that the book of Daniel is evidence of that fact. It's been 2,500 years or so since it has been written this was to be done so that believers of all times could look back on God's work in history and find truth and hope and even understanding of all this in the present and the future at the end times because the whole book will not be fully understood but it's getting that way as we move closer and closer toward the end of human history. Some Bible interpreters see the phrase here and there that we just read as a term referring to world travel, you know, in, in terms of its modern sense and the speed of that and even perhaps increased scientific knowledge. However, when its usage, this term, is looked in how it's used in other places in the Old Testament and really looked closely how it's used in context here, this is probably isn't the case. The Hebrew denotes to go here and there is to go in search, an intense search, 
of a person or thing that, that is in the meaning here. That's the meaning of this. The purpose of this intense search will be to increase knowledge. And so a particular kind of knowledge is in mind in this verse. That is when and how Daniel's message is to be fulfilled. As the time of fulfillment draws near, the Bible is saying the wise will seek to comprehend these prophecies. Did you just hear that? Part of the reason why we even did a study in Daniel, if I'm not mistaken, a third of the Bible is prophetic. And yet so many churches today completely ignore the prophetic. But Daniel is letting us know that as long as you don't ignore it and pretend like it's not there because you don't fully understand it, it's saying, no, those who are wise, especially in those last days, will seek it, seek to know it, gain greater knowledge of what God's word is saying. Why? To understand it more clearly in order to live more wisely. Can you say amen to that? Verse 5, then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever saying it will be for a time, times and half a time when the power of the holy people has been finally broken. All these things will be completed. Daniel notices Two others have come on the scene. He's there. Gabriel's the one who's been conversing with him, delivering the message. But now he notices two others, one standing with him and Gabriel on his side of the river, the Tigris River, and one on the other who is standing in midair above the river, clothed in linen. The awesome person Daniel had seen back in chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, whom I happen to believe to be Jesus Christ. So we have Gabriel and the angel who is on Daniel's side of the river and Jesus on the other side, just sort of hovering above the water. And one of the angels asks, how long will these astonishing events last when once they started, please notice the question is not how long will it be before these things take place? The question is how long will they continue once they have begun to happen? Daniel saw the awesome man in linen, Jesus, lift his hands and swear a solemn oath by him who lives forever. Basically, the answer is from the time Antichrist sets up some kind of image. Scholars aren't exactly sure what that image is. Many believe it's an image of himself demanding people to worship it. There will be three and a half years left until Jesus returns. At that point, three and a half years left 
to the end of the tribulation period when Jesus returns to set up his millennial kingdom. God's recurring purpose just shows up here in this verse, and I want us to notice this because it applies to us as well. We as Americans don't like it. We're not comfortable with it. And we pretty much don't even like talking about it, but here it is again, and so we're going to talk about it. God's recurring purpose shows up and is found in the words when the power of the holy people has been finally broken. What is that all about? This is talking about the pride and self-sufficiency and the stubbornness of God's people, his rebellious people. In order to bring them, hear this now, in order to bring them to a place where they can finally come to accept Jesus Christ as Messiah and Lord and Savior. Folks, I need to say this because sometimes those in the world and those who don't understand God, don't understand Scripture, are lost in all of this darkness of this world, would say, look, see, that's a very, very cruel God. How could he allow his people to go through this kind of torment and anguish and persecution? Because the brokenness is not only happening because God is allowing it, but it's also a part of all of the war and persecution that's taking place, being brought to them by the Antichrist. But this is not the actions of a cruel God at all, church. Please hear this but rather the actions of a very loving God. For if it weren't for the terror of the tribulation, chances are that a lot of those rebellious, stubborn people would have never made the turn, would have never come to that place of acceptance of Jesus Christ, never would have, as we're going to see, come to the place of being made pure, spotless, and refined, and the very same thing is true for you and me. Here's what we've talked about a number of times. Going to say it again. We as Americans, we do our very best to avoid pain and adversity as much as we can. We run, we hide, we do all we can to eliminate it from our lives. Why? Because we like comfortable Right? But you've heard me say this before. If you allow your life to continue down that road and never allow your life to be touched by adversity or trial or hardship or maybe even persecution, then you run the risk of not fully having what God wants for your life. Transformation being changed into the image of Jesus Christ and, as Daniel tells us, made pure, spotless, and refined. We have got to come to the place where we do some rearranging in our thinking as Americans with regards to hardship, with regards to what God is longing to accomplish in and through our lives. 
Verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand, so I asked my Lord, what will the outcome of all of this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many, here it is, will be purified, made spotless, and refined. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. Daniel has been listening, but he doesn't understand, so he asks for more details. He doesn't get a direct answer. He is simply told to go his way, doing what he's been doing, faithfully serving God. Let me pause for a moment. So why does Daniel need more detail? I'll tell you why. Because we have seen from the very beginning all the way through the book of Daniel his concern for his own people. Daniel is concerned for the Jewish people. Why is he concerned? Well, he knows. He's read the book of Exodus. He knows that God showed up at Mount Sinai and gave the people of Israel a mission. Chosen specifically for a mission. Make me known to the world. He also knows they have failed miserably at it. <laughs> Daniel's concerned because when the king Cyrus finally signed off on a decree and allowed the exiles to go back to their homeland and rebuild, only a remnant went back. The rest of them wanted to assimilate into the comfort of a pagan culture called Babylon. We got that problem going on today. We are too assimilated, folks, into the culture of our pagan society. No amens on that one. But it's true. Daniel's concerned about this. But those Jewish people, just like us, very human. Like the words of the old hymn, they, like us, so prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's like God is saying to Daniel, Daniel, just trust me. I've got this. I know what I'm doing. It's all going to come out just the way it is supposed to come out. Your people, not all, but many, will be rescued. And I can hear Daniel saying, hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. The result of all of that. Purified, made spotless, and refined. It's like God saying to us, as he's saying to Daniel, Daniel to us, you will know what you need to know when you need to know it. <laughs> Just stay connected to me. Oh, God's asking, just stay connected to me. Just keep seeking me, staying in my word, making me the priority of your life, your hunger and your thirst for me, far exceeding your hunger and thirst for the things of this world. Consistent living for God. Just keep 
after it. In the process, increasing your faith, trusting and obeying through it all, whatever the all is. Amen? Verse 11, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, referring to Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest. In other words, Daniel, you will find yourself passing on. And then at the end of the days, you will receive, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Resurrection just got spoke again. I promise to Daniel. And the promise that God makes to Daniel is a promise he makes to us. We notice that 30 more days are added to the three and a half years typically 1,260 days, 30 more days being added, bringing it to 1,290 days. What is the purpose for this? I'm excited to tell you, like I told the folks last night, I have no idea. <laughs> Scripture does not specifically say the reason for that. But not only are 30 days added, there's an additional 45 more days added bringing the total to 1,335 days. Once again, Scripture does not explain the purpose for the addition of the extra days. That has not limited the scholars to their ideas. Some suggest that perhaps this gives additional time for what Ezekiel chapter 20 and Matthew 25 speak of, the regathering of all the Jewish people who have been scattered throughout the place because of Antichrist persecution and perhaps maybe even the judging of all the nations that survived the tribulation and for Christ to organize and set up and establish the soon-to-be millennial kingdom. We don't know for sure. So as the book of Daniel closes, God's faithful prophet is given a great hope, an amazing promise. If Daniel will go on and live his life faithfully, consistently, as he's been doing, he will rise from the dead and receive the wonderful inheritance that has been set aside him by God himself. What a glorious hope. And as I said, is not Daniel's hope also our hope? Titus chapter 2 for the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And then here's the part I really like. While we wait, here it is, for the blessed hope, the glorious return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we bring our Daniel study to a close, we need to acknowledge how much we should be thankful for him. It is his prophecies that open up and enable us to understand so many of the other prophecies of God's word. In fact, in case you weren't aware of it, 
over 70 passages from the book of Daniel are quoted or referred to in the New Testament, 70 of them. Much of the book of Revelation would be unclear without the prophecies of Daniel to help us understand. I like what Warren Wearsby has said with regards to Daniel and this book. It says, we today are able to study prophecy because Daniel was faithful in his day. Who in this world is relying upon your faithfulness, upon your faithful witness of Christ, whom will rescue them from eternal death and deliver them into eternal life. Out of darkness into light, out of death into life. Who is relying upon you? and your consistent living for Jesus and your faithfulness unto him. Lord, we've come to you and we, we ask that you help us live for you, Lord, and not for ourselves. Everyone in this room would have to be in all honesty and transparency, would have to admit far, far too often we make this life about us rather than God. We put so many other things in front of you, God. And we have been so clever and we have become, we have come, become so good at reasoning it all out and making excuses and finding ways to rationalize how we are living our lives and thinking that everything is okay. God, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would come and turn your light on in our hearts. Search us, O oh God, and help us discover that which doesn't belong, that which is getting in the way and keeping every single one of us from becoming and progressing what you would have us to be. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my heart.